Uh, here's what I would say, too. I, I see this a lot in, in church and with people. Sometimes we underestimate what God has done in our lives or what we possess. Some of you guys have walked through incredible difficulties. Some, some of you have learned how to have a healthy marriage. Some of you know how to coach or to encourage. Naomi's, Naomi's just going to teach you how to utilize that to benefit other people. And so don't discount yourself. Um, actually come to the, the teaching and the training and find out more information and help people be healthy in their soul. Okay, so I, I do get the opportunity. And I remember when Pastor Walt used to uh, take up an offering for the associate pastors. And I always wanted to crawl under the, the, the what is it? Pew. Pew, thank you. Um, I always wanted to crawl under because I always felt weird. But I understood that there was an honor principle in scripture related to those who teach and preach. And uh, our associate pastors do an incredible job. Do you know? That when people come from other churches into our church, they recognize something different. That they go, there's something different about your church. I sense the presence of God when I come in here. And there, there's a principle that talks about how the anointing flows from the top down. It flows from the head down to the beard, all the way down to the feet. And it, this, this can't happen if you don't have good godly leadership who's leading. And as... And as important as the lead pastor may be, it's really the associates and the other workers who actually produce or who help us to create the culture that we have. And we have an incredible group of associate pastors. I'm proud of them. It's an honor to be able to serve alongside of them. We want to be able to take up an offering for them today. So uh, we want to honor Pastor Mark, Pastor Chris, Pastor Raphael, Pastor Isaiah, and Pastor Drew. So if you feel led to give, I ask that you would do that. If you don't have money today, bless them sometime later in the weeks to come. going to ask our ushers to come forward to receive God's tithes and offerings, and let me pray. So, Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to bless our associate pastors. Pray that you would um, bless them for their faithfulness, honor their teaching, honor their faithfulness in their place within the church. And I pray, God, that you would bless also the people who give. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, originally, there we had a guest speaker that was assigned to come in and speak, and he was not able to come and do that. So this is a standalone message, and... As I was preparing, I kind of wanted, I, I like keeping the church engaged with transitions and what we're doing and how we're planning and maybe things that we're going to do in the future. But the Lord just kind of shifted it a little bit. And so we're going to talk about vision today, but we're really going to talk about biblical vision. And what I, what I mean by that is I want you to understand how to have a biblical framework for your life. There's a lot of people, how many people have a vision statement or you've written down a vision statement for your life? A couple. Vision and leadership is such a uh, interesting dynamic in the church. There's a lot of people who get really frustrated when we talk about vision or leadership. And today's message is not about that. I hope to unpack that in, um, in the, the months to come, what I believe about that. What I believe scripture talks about. But today is really about creating a biblical framework for how to live your life. And I find myself in this position. I'm doing more teaching than I thought I would. The Lord keeps saying there's, there's a lot of people who don't know how to handle the ups and downs of life. They don't know how sometimes to handle when God doesn't seem to answer. How do you handle 
life when it seems like things are out of control, you're not getting the answers, or this isn't exactly the way that I thought it'd be, or even if God gave you a dream, what if it takes 30 years to come to pass? How do you handle that? Well, today we're going we're gonna to go to the book of Habakkuk. We're going to talk about how he handled some circumstances and situations. And I, I think it will benefit you. So I really want you to have a biblical vision. And a biblical vision is really a faith walk. All right. So would you stand this morning? Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3. And this is what it says. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. I want to stop for just a second. Will you go back? How it says uh, it may seem to tarry. It may seem to pause. It may seem to wait. Right? It may seem that it's taking a long time, but there is an appointed time. It will not stop. It will not tarry. It will not wait because it will come in due season and at the right time. Father, I pray right now that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us a heart to understand. And I pray, God, that you would speak, lead, and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. So basically, the, the book of Habakkuk, is uh, he's, he's living within a nation that's about to get judgment. And he's looking around and he's been praying and he doesn't understand what's taking place. He doesn't know why he's praying and God's not answering or appears not to be answering. He's looking at his nation while they're not obeying the law. They're not obeying God's word. The prophets and even the religious leaders are, are being dishonest. And he can't understand it. And he's distraught over the circumstances. And he doesn't know what to do. And I wanted to take some of the principles from this book and apply them to our lives to help us have an understanding or a format for us to process life with God. So there are four steps in, in the book of Habakkuk that I feel like are a biblical principles that we can live within. Number one. Peaked. I love words, so you'll have to forgive me. This is uh, a word that I like. Peaked by the possibility or a problem. All right? Peaked by the possibility or a problem. And it actually has two definitions. Anybody ever heard, it peaked my interest? It peaked my curiosity. In life, there are going to be situations that come up that you're really interested. There may be the possibility of something taking place. There's a possibility of a breakthrough. There's a possibility of a new job. There's a possibility of something happening. That's one definition. But the second is to be irritated or resentful or discouraged. And so you've got the possible, but you also got the pain, the problem. And vision a lot of times is birth because of one of these two things. Situations can create possibility and problems. And we all have areas in our life where there's the potential for something amazing. And there's also areas in our life where we have pain or we have problems. And that's hand in hand. Very rarely is everything going perfect in your life. And God uses both possibilities and pain to get our attention. So for Habakkuk, it's pain. He's looking at the condition of his nation and he's asking these questions. 
He's going, how long, God, must I call for help? But you will not listen. This is in that first chapter. How long have I got to pray? How long have I got to call out before you answer? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? So how long, God, do I have to pray? How long do I have to ask? How long do I have to knock until I get an answer? One of the things that, um, in, in, as a pastor, we can't do counseling. So, but, but we talk to a lot of people who are in distress. As a matter of fact, you heard it in soul care. People will usually go to their pastor before they'll go to a counselor. And so there's a lot of things that we hear. And it generally comes down to a couple of things. Why won't God answer when I pray? And number two, if God is so good, then why is this happening? These two things almost routinely come up. And you see the same thing for Habakkuk. He's asking the same questions. I'm praying to you, and how can you tolerate this? Here's the thing you've got to understand about Habakkuk. He's not putting God on blast here. He knows God's justice. He knows his righteousness. He can't seem to reconcile what is taking place with the God that he knows. And so he's asking these questions. And we tend to do the same thing. Man, God, if you're so good, then why is this happening in my marriage? If God, you're so good, why is this happening in my life or in the world or in the church? How could this happen? And there's a lot of times we struggle and we wrestle over the things we don't understand. I want to tell you, vision gives your pain purpose. Vision gives your pain direction. I want you to hear this part because I think this is really important. How you choose to think about what is happening will determine the next steps you take. And I find that there's, there's two type, two extremes. There are those that who go, well, God will do everything and they don't do anything. And then there are those who believe that no matter what they do, it won't matter anyway. Two extremes. So either you veg out or you tap out. Well, God will do it so I don't have to do anything or it doesn't matter what I do. It's not going to change anything anyway. And Habakkuk actually gives us. The next steps, when we're peaked, when we have a problem or a possibility, the second thing is that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to pray. Come on, Pastor Chris. <laughs> prayer. Number two is prayer. Prayer provides clarity. Prayer provides clarity. Sometimes we want answers, but sometimes more than the answers, you need clarity. You need to know what's taking place. Habakkuk 2.1 says this. I will stand my watch and I'll set myself on the rampart. The rampart was a wall and it was used for protection. And watch to see what he will say to me. Don't you love that Habakkuk knows God's going to speak to him? And then he says, and what I will answer when I am corrected. I love that part because here's the thing. Habakkuk knows, first of all, that God's going to answer. The second thing he knows, I don't have it all right. There's something off in my understanding. So I'm going to go to God in prayer so he'll speak to me and lead me and guide me so that I have the answers. Because there's a lot of times, y'all, we're making decisions based on imperfect information. Our imperfect sight. We've made a decision that's rooted in incomplete information. 
How many know even when you don't know what to do, you know who to go to? I will say this. Prayer is not a substitute for your obedience. Prayer is not a substitute for your obedience. So how many times have, um, has the Lord prompted you or convicted you that you know you're supposed to go and apologize? And you spend time praying and praying and praying and praying, hoping it goes away. What you, you probably need to pray for courage to go apologize. But how many know God's not going to take away the right thing to do? Biblical vision has to be predicated on what God knows. It's rooted in what he knows. The, the older I get, the more, and I hope all my, my older people will understand this. We know we don't know stuff, right? The older we go, the more we realize we can't change the world like we thought. We, it's hard enough just to change who we are, right? And the older you get, you begin to recognize, God, I sure do need your help. I sure do need your wisdom. God, I sure do need your strength. I sure do need your perspective. God won't make every decision for us, but it can lead and guide our decisions. And that's why we pray. Prayer actually repositions us in relationship and not just based on our circumstances. When I was a young Christian, and this is sometimes why I talk about the things that I do. Because a lot of people get really tripped up in their, in their faith walk. When I was young, I thought I prayed in order for God to change my circumstances. And I'm discovering that many times God changes me in my circumstances. It doesn't mean he won't change the circumstances, but there is a priority to God. And me growing up in Jesus to be mature is part of the, well, that's actually step three, part of the process. All right. So I was meditating on Genesis 1, and we talked about this uh, a number of weeks ago. And it, it's where the where Holy Spirit is hovering over the void, chaos. And then the word comes forth and it said, let there be light. And I love the first decision that God makes is to separate light and darkness. Light helps us to see. But as I was praying and thinking on this, the Holy Spirit just stopped me and said, say the words again. Let there be light. He said, go back. Let there be. And he said, let there be. Be. Let there be healing. Let there be breakthrough. Let there, wherever God has, wherever there's void, He invites us to begin to pray. Let God, let there in that situation be what you desire. So we pray in order to get an answer. We pray in order to find out what God wants. We pray in order to find out what he desires to do. And then we begin to go, and God, in this area, right there, I pray that this will happen. I remember uh, being out of ministry probably 15 years ago. And the kids were small. And I remember having this dream. And this, uh, I'm, I'm standing in... My grandparents' house on my mother's side. I remember standing in front of this room, and I'm looking at the room, and it is filled uh, from floor to ceiling with junk. Just stuff. All this stuff in this room. And in the middle was a chair, and in that chair was a pornographic magazine. And I'm looking at this room, and I took it, closed the door. 
And then I hear my kids crying out to me. And they're little, two and four. And I, I, I ran around into the kitchen and I walked into the pantry and the door shut. And I'm holding on to my kids' hands and all these normal objects are floating in front of our face. And my kids are terrified. And the next, next scene is I take them and we step out of that room and we step into a new house. And the house is made of rock. There's nothing in it. Nothing. And I, I, I'm walking with them and, and we're looking around. And the only thing that was in there was this long rectangular pool. And it was beautifully blue. Just beautiful. And I'm walking with Caleb and Caleb looks up to me. And he said, Dad, where's Bree? And immediately my thought was, I've got to go back and look in the pool. And just to set this up just a little bit better, Bree had had some, some health issues when she was 10 weeks old, had some heart problems, kidney problems. And I would wake up at night just to know that she was still alive. So I would go check the bassinet, and I have this dream. And in the dream, I look in the water, and Bree is underneath the water. There was this huge muscular arm that had her by the leg pulling her under the water. In the dream, I came off and... And my, I brought my forearm down on that arm and it broke and I woke up. And so I went to Carissa's uncle and I said, you know, here's this dream. What do you, what do you think it represents? And he said, those two, uh, two things that happened in your dream with the, the lust and fear of your two sides of your family. That's where, that's where you come from. And God is actually putting you in a new house because of your faith and your kids will not have to walk through or not come from that line. He's starting something new in you. And here's what I want you to understand though. There was great sorrow because I never could look back to lineage. There was something that I missed. And so in order, because you know, when you grow up in a home, how many you take how many know you take on your home? Well, there were a lot of things that I didn't know how to do. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to lead. I didn't know how to, how, to, how to live this Christian life. And so most of the time it was spent in me talking to God and going, God, help me to raise my kids. Help me to live this life with you. Help me to obey you. Prayer gives you vision. It provides clarity. And how many know that God will help you do your, his part? But you have to do your part as well. All right, number three, process. You know that I talk a lot about process. Process establishes the vision, that biblical picture, and you. So Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3, we just read this. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. I love this because, remember, Habakkuk was worried about what God would say. He felt like he was about to be corrected. Church, God is not concerned or bothered by your questions. A lot of people, when they begin to experience doubt, they go underground. I'd rather you talk about it. I've wrestled with God. I've been frustrated by God. By God. I've been dis- disappointed in seasons because I felt like I didn't get the answer I wanted. And yet I've watched God's character always come through. Now, I don't always get the, the answer the way that I want it. But I also can see God's wisdom in how he answers. 
So God is not bothered by your questions. Just don't challenge his character. Biblical vision, this framework, is really the process of surrender. Will you trust God even when you don't understand? And this is a question that all of us throughout the rest of our life have to answer. I love how you know God said, write this down. There, there's something, there's a finality, there's a permanence to writing something down. God may prompt you with a verse or he may prompt you with a picture. He, he may prompt you with a promise to your heart. You need to write those things down to remember that he was speaking to you. He was leading you. He was guiding you. And of course, for us, Habakkuk was writing it down for the benefit of his people, but also that it would be in the Bible and it benefits us. So Habakkuk learns that God is dealing with the issues that he was bringing to God. And there were five areas that, that God was going to deal with this nation and their disobedience. You know, a couple of them were, were drinking and idolatry. And God was about to, to bring judgment on the nation. But it was for the benefit of bringing the nation back to him. So here's the thing. Um, I, I, it's important for me to let you understand this. That, um, that God is not angry. If you're in Christ, he's not angry at you. Okay? The Bible says that Jesus became the propitiation. That means wrath quencher. Okay? So God's anger was poured out on sin on Jesus. So he's not mad at you. But here's the thing. You can live a life in such a way that you're going you're gonna, to um, reap a, a bad harvest. So if you sin, you're going to experience the results of your sin. So if you go hold up a store with a gun, as a Christian or non-Christian, you get caught, you're going to jail. That God's not mad at you. He'll love you in jail. But how many know that's not a good plan? There's a better way, right? So, so I need you to understand the heart of God. The heart of God was not to destroy his people. The heart of God was to bring that nation back to him. They repeatedly pushed him away. They repeatedly didn't listen. They repeatedly went back to the stuff that they knew was wrong. There's always a consequence for our decisions. So... Within this process, there's a couple of things that I wanted to share with you from a father's heart, also just from somebody who's walked with God for a long time. God is always changing you in the process. Sometimes I want the, the, the situation or the circumstance or whatever to change, but God is always changing you and me in the process. God will deal with the other issues as well, but he's concerned and he is committed to your growth. So God deals with us. He deals with our selfish ambition. He deals with our need to control. He deals with the issues of our life in our heart. How many know that all things work together for good? Doesn't mean that all things will be good. It just means that if you'll trust God, God will work things out. And here is what happens when you're walking with God and you're growing in maturity he begins to sort a lot of the, the knots that are in your heart and in your mind out. He begins to help you grow up. He begins to help you build roots. 
He begins to help you become established. You know you are being sanctified, that you're growing more like Jesus when you no longer own your dream or you need to control. So one of the things that I've discovered is God keeps asking me to release things to him. God's process moves us from ownership to stewardship. And I need you to hear this, especially if you're a young person. God's process moves us from ownership to stewardship. The only ownership you have is to take personal responsibility in it. So let me, let me give you a practical example. How many have kids? Right? So we're responsible to teach, train, lead, guide, model, all of this stuff. But how many know that if you make all the decisions for your kids, they can't grow up? That you actually have to allow them to make decisions, even if it's a bad decision eventually, because they've got to own the repercussions of their decisions. How many know that sometimes we've walked through really bad stuff and we don't desire that for our kids? So sometimes we want to protect them, right? But what you're supposed to do is train them, teach them, and then go, okay, here's the, the consequences of bad decisions, but I have to allow you, enable you to make decisions so that you can own your own life. It's called maturity. And so some of us, we struggle with the idea of releasing our kids into adulthood because we know what adulthood can lead to. And so we want to control them. Sometimes we do it in our marriage. We want to control our spouse. Sometimes we do it in our job. Sometimes we just, we just want everything our way. And God begins to go, hey, I need you to release everything that you're struggling with to me. I want ownership of it. I want your dream. I want your pain. I want your frustration. I want your marriage. I want your kids. I want it. Can you trust me? Your primary role now is to be a steward of what God has given you or who God has given you. The Lord reminds me often that there will be somebody else who comes to inherit what we're building. So don't build it based on what you think. Don't build it based on what uh, the, the direction that you tend to lean. You know, a lot of people think I'm all about always, let's go just do uh, big things. That's not what, what my heart is. That's what I feel like God is leading us to. I want people who are whole. I want you to be healed. I want you to be mature. But I do want to see God do incredible things through this church. But God says, don't build it according to what you think. Make sure you're speaking and leading in the way that, that I want you to. Uh, I, I've talked about this before. In that same period where I had the dream with, with uh, the kids... Uh, I had a, I, I'd watch this show and it's America's home makeover. You guys remember that they get a team of people of experts get together and then they lead a bunch of people and they would fix a home uh, of a person in need. And I said, God, I've always wanted something like that. I've always wanted to be, but I'm not skilled in anything. Basically, you don't want me to work on your house. You don't want me to work on your car. And I'm like, God, I just want to help people though. I want to help people. And now I'm beginning to see this church do that. And next year, we're starting this process called the four D's, the four D's. And, you know, we've got, we've got some other people who are working on it. And it's the dream to empower our people to live out the gospel, to use what they have to serve the house, but also the community. And it's, 
discover, design, develop, deploy. And we're going to walk people through the process of figuring out who they are, what they have, and what God is asking them to do. And just Wednesday night, we were in prayer, and you guys need to come to prayer. Prayer is incredible. But came to the altar, and and it was at the end of the service, and I just, I, I laid before the Lord, just my heart before the Lord, and I said, God... I give you the future of good news. I give you this, this idea of this four D's and, and where we're going. And, and I go, God, please don't, don't let me have ownership of it. He says, be a steward. And so I said, Lord, I give you the rights to this dream. I give you the rights to all the years of walking through things, to, to desire to want to help people. And immediately... Uh, service ends, I go into the office and there's a group of people who are going, Hey PJ, we're working on the four D's and I just want to let you know we're shifting some things and we're changing some things and you're going to be pleased with it. We've got things already six months planned out and I'm going, all right, Lord, I'm listening because in order for something to actually multiply, you have to give up the rights to it and steward it. And we're going to see people set free and healed and empowered Next year, hopefully, through this process. So learning to release things given to you by God is one of the highest acts of trust and surrender. Process establishes the vision and you. And lastly, number four, promise. Promise is rooted in the character of God. Habakkuk 3.2 says this, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, do what you need to do. But please remember us. When uh, we were in that time again, I always go back to that time. It was such a foundation and formational period. I remember this next set of scripture verses somebody prayed over me. And I got to tell you, I was angry. I was mad that they said this. Because I was frustrated by life. I was frustrated by what I felt God wasn't answering. I was frustrated by looking at where we were. Just a, just a bunch of issues. Really disappointed with God. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. And yet, I'm looking back now going, it was the, this pivotal thing that God was trying to do in my heart and establish our family. It says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. How many know that's a bad day? That's, that's you losing your job and not having any savings and not having any help and having no prospects. And you're going, I've got nothing. And this is what Habakkuk says. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And here's, here's this. The sovereign Lord is my strength. The God who is in control is my strength. And as a young Christian, as a young Christian, I was always up and down based on circumstances. Based on what I had ownership of. Based on what I could see. Based on what I could make happen. And yet there was something that God was shifting inside of me. He was going, hey, look to me. I'm your trust. I'm your hope. I'm your strength. 
I'm the one who leads and guides you. Trust me. I'm in control. And if you actually want to walk this Christian life out, this biblical vision, this is the the root and the crux of it all. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Because most of us trust God when things are going well, but we don't trust Him when it's not. We trust Him when we get our way, but we don't trust Him when we don't understand. And the thing that God is calling us to as Christians into maturity is, trust me, even when you can't see, even when you don't understand. I have a picture on my wall. And the picture is a path that leads around the corner. And I can't, it's just one single path. And it leads around the corner. And I can't see what's on the other side as a reminder I don't know where I'm going. The only person that knows is God. And we have to trust Him. You can trust His character. You can trust His nature. You can trust Him in relationship. Habakkuk 2.4 says this. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by faith. Faith is not sticking your head in the ground. Faith is not... Not acknowledging the situation. It's just saying, my expectation's on you, God. That's faith. Would you stand with me today? Faith is an expectation in God. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll speak. He'll help you to grow up. Even when you don't understand, He's at work. Habakkuk declares it even when he knew his nation was going to fall. I'm declaring it because I know it to be true based on just what he's done for Carissa and I. And he'll do the same thing for you. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for the men and women who are walking through difficulties or discouragement. Maybe you've placed this promise in their heart, God, and they seem to be a million miles from it. Or maybe they got married and they had all these uh, amazing ideas of what it was going to be like and now they've hit a rough patch or maybe they've got a kid that's wayward away from the Lord maybe they're beginning to look at retirement years and they're not sure how they're going to make it maybe they're single and they thought they'd be married there's just any number of questions God but here's what you promise that you're sovereign that you're in control and our hope and our trust the foundation of our life runs through you you know You know. You know what's going on inside of us. You know what's ahead of us. You know what we've walked through, God. And you're with us. And we can trust you. God, would you help us? We need you. God, you're not not frustrated by our questions. You're not frustrated by, by sometimes us being mad and demanding of you or questioning you or asking you. God, you actually want to answer. You actually want to meet us in it. And I pray that you would. God, I pray that your grace would rest upon the people in this church. I pray, God, that you would speak to us. I pray, God, in the areas of void, God, you're, you're, you're saying, my Holy Spirit is waiting. Let there be. And I pray that you would answer, God, give them clarity, God, in what you want to happen in that area. And I pray, God, you would highlight scriptures. You would highlight passages in the Bible that they can partner bless you. We love you. And we're expectant of you, God. Our faith is in you. And we will live by faith. 
In Jesus' name. And everybody said,